Welcome, welcome world, welcome America, welcome South Florida to another episode of Let's Talk About It. I really, really need to stop meeting like this. This is your beloved host, Sabash Katil. It's been a while since I've been on the air, on the podcast, on anything. I'm back. Following the news from last week about the Israeli elections, I live in South Florida. I mean, kind of if you live anywhere, but specifically if you live in South Florida, it's one of those things that people talk about a lot. And because I think that we're in a different moment in the world, I want to talk about it a little bit. You know, there's been a lot of news since the elections last week. So we're going to talk a little bit about some of this and what it means, because I do think we're kind of in a new moment. Meantime, listen to a little bit of this group out of Israel, made up of Jews, Palestinians, Uzbeks, Russians. Name of the group is called Sister Mali. We'll listen to them for a second. Be right back. So like we were saying, I started Let's Talk About It years ago because I thought it was important to have honest conversations on the issues that most directly impact our lives. Ever since I was a little kid, you know, we'd say things like peace in the Middle East, right? And it was always like a kind of almost an ironic joke because there was no peace in the Middle East. And ever since I was a little kid, it's always been really hard to have really honest conversations about why there isn't peace in the Middle East. Specifically why there isn't peace in Israel and Palestine. But ever since I remember the very first argument, the very first discussion, the very first debate that I witnessed on the conflict in Israel and Palestine, people would always talk about a two-state solution. And a two-state solution is this idea that there should be an Israeli state and a Palestinian state. And that Palestinian state would be made up of what Palestine looked like in 1967, which included East Jerusalem as a capital. And that when that happens, all the problems in Israel and Palestine would be solved. And people would be living peacefully next to each other and everything would be happily ever after. You would hear journalists reiterate this need for a Palestinian state over and over again. You would hear presidents over and over again talk about a Palestinian state. And something funny happens. This week, Benjamin Netanyahu, the relatively right-wing prime minister of Israel now, who was running for re-election, thought that he was about to lose. And to win his election in Israel, he specifically says that a two-state solution is not going to happen under his watch. Then, he talks a little bit about how he wants his supporters to come out and vote in the Israeli election because there's droves of Arabs coming out to vote. Two days later, he wins the election. He's been backtracking ever since on some of the things he's been saying. But nonetheless, I think we're in a specific moment. I actually think that this is the beginning of a more productive conversation and a more real conversation on the Middle East and on Israel specifically and our role in the Middle East and our role in Israel and Palestine specifically. The day of the election results, I got the chance to speak to Josh Rubner. Josh Rubner is a lot of things, but one of the things that Josh Rubner is, is he's an American author, political analyst, and activist. He's the author of a book called Shattered Hopes, Obama's Failure to Broker Israeli-Palestinian Peace. So before I heard from Josh, I wanted to know why he cared about this issue so much. I come from this from a very personal perspective. My father was born in Palestine when it was still the British Mandate before the State of Israel existed. 
and grew up as a Israeli Jewish citizen of the state before moving to this country. So I have a very personal connection to this issue. And for as long as I've had any awareness about the reality of Israel's brutal treatment and oppression of the Palestinian people, I've been uh, fundamentally opposed to it and, and disgusted by it and want to do something to change it. And when I asked him his first thoughts about the election results in Israel and Palestine, this is what he had to say. Clearly, the most important story coming out of Israel's election is you had the Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu very openly renouncing his supposed support for a Palestinian state. You had him making blatantly racist denunciations of Palestinian citizens of Israel for exercising their democratic right to vote. By going to the ballot box, he considered this a, quote, danger to his government. And the fact that an Israeli prime minister could get reelected to this position after being so blatantly open in favor of colonization of Palestinian land, in favor of degrading Palestinian citizens of Israel, I think really points to where Israel is headed. And I think the notions of Israel wanting peace, wanting a Palestinian state have been completely discredited in the eyes of many people around the world. And Netanyahu's re-election will make Israel's public relations problem much more difficult to deal with now. But that wasn't the only thing that happened with the elections. We're going to come back to this whole two-state solution thing in a second. But I want to talk about some more news that came out of the Israeli elections. But to do that, I think I need some theme music. Specifically, I think I need some Shadi Mansour. One of the most exciting things about this election to a lot of folks in the Middle East was the turnout for the Arab vote, for the Arab-Israeli vote, or what people actually call Palestinian citizens living in Israel. Something you won't hear a lot about in the news, but Palestinian citizens of Israel, who make up about 20% of the population of Israel outside of the Palestinian-occupied territories, actually did really well in the elections. This was the most highly anticipated election for the Palestinian citizens of Israel within a long, long period of time, and by some counts, the highest voter participation since 1969. And a lot of the excitement and enthusiasm within the Palestinian community in Israel sprang from the fact that you had, for the first time, this joint electoral list bringing together all of the Palestinian political parties, in addition to Hadash, which is a joint Palestinian and Jewish-Israeli political party. And this unification amongst the parties clearly resulted in a better than anticipated turnout and 14 seats, making it the third largest party. But I think the fact that you have this increased Palestinian political participation within the Israeli political system really obscures the degree to which Israel is not a democracy. The fact that Palestinian citizens of Israel can vote, can participate in the Israeli elections and can do well doesn't change the fact that Palestinian citizens of Israel still face systematic discrimination. It doesn't change the fact that they are second-class citizens in their own homeland. It doesn't change the fact that Israel continues to deny Palestinian refugees who came from territories that became the state of Israel their right to return. One of the factors that unites both left and right Israeli Jewish political parties is their refusal to contemplate bringing Palestinian parties into the government. Since Israel was formed in 1948, no Palestinian 
political party has ever sat in the governing coalition of the state of Israel. And the fact that both major parties, the Likud and the Zionist Union, even before the election, shot down any possibility of including any Palestinian parties in the joint electoral list in the next government, I think is a reflection of the fact that Israel is set up uh, as an exclusivist state, as a quote-unquote Jewish state, where Palestinians, even if they have democratic rights on paper, they're not considered full citizens with an equal right to have a say in the running of their government as Israeli Jews. Now, back to this whole Netanyahu slash two-state solution thing. Those of us that have been paying attention to the Middle East for years, we all sort of knew that the two-state solution was just this thing that people talk about because it made sense to talk about it. There seemed to be no action taken, at least in the last decade, to make this idea of a two-state solution a reality. And I'm saying this, and I'm saying this now because in 2012, I had a radio show where I had Mark Levine on. Mark Levine's professor of Middle East history at University of California, Irvine. He had a book coming out, One Land, Two States, Israel and Palestine as Parallel States. This is what he had to say about the two-state solution back in 2012. There are 600,000 settlers and a large share of them in East Jerusalem. And the settlements are so enmeshed in the occupied territories and are so deeply connected with Israeli society. Therefore, the two-state solution, which everyone has been trying to do for 19 years now, is in fact dead, if it ever was alive. So to put things in perspective, about a half million people, which is about the population of Miami, of Israelis, are living in what people keep promising to be a future Palestinian state. Now, what that means is, if any Israeli prime minister was serious about building a Palestinian state on the 1967 borders, they would have to kick out the equivalent of the population of Miami from settlements. The problem with that is the Benjamin Netanyahu's of the world keep building settlements in those same places that they keep promising that there's going to be a Palestinian state. So on our show in 2012, there was already mention of a two-state solution being dead. And this week, it took the news a couple years to catch up to that. So what's really different about this moment? And this is what Josh has to say. The results of the election are going to increase tension between the United States and Israel. It's going to make it incredibly difficult, if not impossible, for the United States to continue to insist the two-state resolution to the Israeli-Palestinian issue is the only conceivable resolution available. When you have the Prime Minister of the State of Israel definitively slamming the door shut on the possibility of there being a Palestinian state, it's going to be increasingly ridiculous for the United States to pretend that this is even still an option. So I think we're going to see major changes in the way that the United States relates to this issue and the way that it conceptualizes how to resolve and move forward. I think we're clearly today in a very new place than we were a few days ago in terms of thinking about how this issue can finally be resolved in a fair and just way. And way back in 2012, Mark Levine had an idea about how this can be solved if we could actually acknowledge that the two-state solution is dead. The first step is kind of like alcoholism, right? And I hate to talk about major world conflicts like alcoholism, but you kind of have to admit that you have a problem. We've admitted we've had a problem, but we haven't admitted the scale of it. And admitting that this idea of a two-state solution is basically dead will help us move forward into creating a real solution practical thing to do is to sit down and figure out with Palestinians and the international community 
how do we create an architecture, a political architecture for the future, so that all the people in that land, Palestinians, Jews, everyone, can live with the universally accepted and universally required human, civil, and political rights? Whatever you want to call that entity or entities that you create, that is really the standard that has to be applied. All Palestinians and all Jews and all Israelis have to live with the fullest spectrum of human, political, civil, economic, social rights. If Jews and Palestinian Arabs can sit together and say, we both deserve to have the same rights, then they can begin to move to forging the kind of creative solutions that have so far eluded them, because what they've defined their rights as is, in a way, opposed to the other rights or being defined by territory which can no longer be divided. Tú nos dices que debemos sentarnos, pero las ideas solo pueden levantarnos, caminar, now I want to end up with some honor to Joe and a song called Somosur featuring Shadi Mansour again. So I think I made it pretty clear on the show what I think. I think we're at a different moment to have some real conversations and some honest conversations that I think are really important in America because of how much money we spend to affect the outcomes in a region that we seem to have done nothing but mess up a little bit more. This is going to be the beginning of a conversation for us, actually the continuation of a conversation for us, not the end of a conversation by any means, but hopefully... It's the beginning of an honest conversation. And so if we as folks that live in the United States can have an honest conversation about where our resources go, where our money goes, where our support goes, and what it's actually building, that would be awesome. That would be great. In the meantime, I'm going to finish listening to some Mana Joe. You've been listening to Let's Talk About It. We'll be back in a bit. Peace. I'm walking.